I had a little bit of a crazy morning and I was I was running pretty far behind because writing up this episode took me probably the longest it's ever taken to write up an episode because it's 43 minutes, but it's jam-packed. And I swear they had to speed up the dialogue because of how intense it is. So I was running behind and I still had to like rewatch 18, which I've already seen, but I was like, I should rewatch it. We had to push back the recording a half hour because I wasn't ready. And I knew I had like 35 minutes to watch a 45 minute long episode. And I was like, you know, strategically, this is not going to work. Like, I'm going to run out of time before we're supposed to start recording. And I've already pushed this off, so I can't do it again. So I'm winding down. I've got five minutes left of the episode. And Abigail texts me and is like, I'm going to take the fastest shower ever. And I was like, okay, this is great. This is great. I can tell Jen that the holdup is Abby taking a shower. And then Jen texts me and is like, I fell back asleep. I need a few minutes to get up. And then Abby's like, it's going to take me more time. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes the stars do align and you are not the problem. And you are able to watch the episode in its entirety. And then you look like the good one because you were like, no, no, I'm ready when you are. When literally like a second ago, I was finishing the episode. It's hard being a podcaster, guys. I I watched um I watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies last night. Okay. Instead of watching I- what I asked you to watch, but that's fair. Yeah. But you would like it. But there's this part, um, it's written by one of my favorite playwrights, and it's a, it's a fun movie. I mean, I know some people didn't like it, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's this part where she's like, podcasting is a lot of work. You have to make a Google calendar. You have to, like, schedule your guests. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, of course, it's written in there to be, like, laughing at how hard it is for these, like, rich girls to work but it is like it's very it's it's it was not lost on me yeah it's actually a nightmare like this uh guy at my husband's work was like i'm gonna start a podcast and i was like no you're not (laughs) you're not gonna do it (laughs) i guarantee you that you will not do it because you have no idea but anyways this is unsubs a criminal minds podcast ever heard of us We're the podcast that complains about podcasting while also covering all 334 episodes of Criminal Minds. I'm Mac. I'm Abigail. And I'm Jen. Jen's our guest today. We had a guest last time, and we're going to have Jen next week as well. So buckle up, Buttercup. Today we're talking about Valhalla, a.k.a. the hardest write-up of an episode I've ever had to deal with. You're really brave. Let's get to fun facts because it is 11 pages long, my recap. Oh my god. (laughs) So my fun fact is that um, I just recently got blue light glasses and they did change my life. Oh my gosh, they're great. Yeah, I bought more today, actually. I had two pairs, and I, and I just bought another pair. You got your Misty Quigley on. I do. I am actually wearing them right now. I, I bought glasses with the sole intent of trying to look as much like Misty Quigley from Yellow Jackets as possible. Now my husband is looking at these, and he's like, I love you, but they're just too big. Um, so I got a different pair too, so that I can wear them when he's around. He was like, you're already so much like Misty Quigley. You don't need to be more like her. And I was like, that's the biggest compliment anyone's ever given me. Thank you. She's insane. And I love her for it. Someone else share a fun fact. I have really gotten back into the Hunger Games recently. And so I listened to the prequel book on on Audible uh, this week. It's so good if you guys haven't read it yet. 
So I got it on Libby and I started listening to it. And then I, I have this bad tendency to get a bunch of books out at the same time from Libby. But then because it's like owned by a library, I have to return them. Um, and so I kept trying to renew it because I was listening to other books at the same time and just not managing myself very well. Um, so then I had to return it. And now I'm like, because it's the movie trailer and everything's come out now, everybody wants to read it. And so I'm just like, you know, very late on hold. And so I will read it again. But I'm going to be doing a fair amount of traveling this summer. So I'm hoping to like really knock through some of these audiobooks and like maybe I'll buy a hard copy of the like la- most recent You book that came out and read that on Amtrak or something. If you do have an Audible account, I think I can share a title for free with you. So I think I can share it with you for free. We will figure that out. Who wants to share the rating criteria? I think uh, Jen should, because Jen always shares it so much more eloquently than either of us do. All right. So we rate each episode out of 100 points uh, across five different categories where each category can get uh, up to 20 points. And the categories are criminal slash serial killer, character development slash character arcs, forensics and context script writing, and background characters. Here's our disclaimer so that we don't get sued or hit with a cease and desist. We're in no way, shape, or form associated uh, with criminal minds or any of the intellectual property therein. We are just fans. It would be nice if we can keep doing this. (laughs) I'm going to start the episode. We open on public transportation, everybody's favorite feminist. So we see Prentice taking an escalator down to a subway train in D.C. We cut and we see a car pull up to a house in suburbia. Inside this house, there's a television on and we're hearing news about this huge snowstorm that will be coming to town shortly. The channel is, quote, H. HD Doppler weather. And I was like, that's an odd name. Didn't think I would see that, did you? But I did. So the man gets out of the car, comes into the house, and he says, 5.30 on the dot, as promised. And he walks into the living room and turns off the TV, and it doesn't look like there's anyone who's responding to him. He sees there's this glass coffee table and there are like chips and soda that have spilled on the table. And he immediately starts like talking in Italian. And then he hears something upstairs and goes, hey, I'm talking to you. Don't make me come to get you. And then we get some more dramatic shots of Prentice. And then we cut to a different house. A woman is in her huge walk-in closet and she's trying on clothes in a mirror and she goes, quote, I used to fit into this. I blame your cooking. It's too damn fine. And then we hear a man's voice say, like your ass. Now let's go. We're late. Used to fit into this. I blame your cooking. It's just too damn fine. (laughs) Like your ass. Let's go. We're late. To be honest, she looks like she fits in the dress just fine. Right? Also, like, nobody says, your cooking is too damn fine. They would say, your cooking is too damn good. I blame your cooking. It's just too damn fine. The way she said fine, I was like, is the cooking fine as in it's very, like, decadent? I don't know. We don't know. I want to know what he cooked. It just seems like a weird... Anyways, we've got 11 pages to get through. We can't fixate on this. I do refer to them as Mr. and Mrs. Fine throughout the rest of this recap. So she hears a glass shattering and she goes, Frank, honey, are you okay? And then the lights go out. We cut back to Prentice. She finally gets on a train. She sits down. She touches a stanchion, which is the vertical posts that are like anchored between the floor and the ceiling in a like public transportation subway train car. Oh. 
that's the most unrealistic thing about this whole scene because a seasoned public transportation user would not just bare fist a stanchion like that. That is nasty. The amount of germs on that pole from everybody's hands. No, you're coming in with a glove. Canonically, it's winter. You're coming in with an arm and a jacket. You're not bare fisting that stanchion. I don't care. Also, Prentice is sitting in the priority seating for pregnant, elderly, and disabled people. She sees a man wearing rubber gloves walking towards her, and I, I guess she thinks he's going to, like, attack her. But then we cut away, and it, it never comes to anything. I guess he was just wearing rubber gloves uh, on a train, as one does. As one does. So we go back to the Italian job. The man from the first house goes upstairs and he's got a gun. He finds his son and his wife in the upstairs bedroom being held at gunpoint by two masked masked intruders. He begs them to release his family, but they refuse and the whole family is executed. And then we quickly cut and we see Mr. and Mrs. Too Damn Fine and they're also being executed in their bedroom. Those masks are spooky as hell. Also, technically, it's four intruders, but you only see two of them in this, like, opening, fast-paced sequence. We go back to the subway, and it's been a while because the, the train has cleared out and Prentice is falling asleep in her priority seating for pregnant, elderly, and disabled people. And Clyde and Sia show up, and we get some great dialogue from Sia, as always. Prentice is like, Ian Doyle is here in D.C. I sat next to him last night. And Sia goes, what? She just sounds so rehearsed. Uh, Prentice goes, he said if I warn my team or tell anyone, he'll kill them. And Sia tries to say, why didn't he kill you? But instead, she says, why did he kill you? <laughs> I'll play the audio. <laughs> she, she doesn't get it right. Ian Doyle is here in D.C. How can you be so sure? I sat next to him last night. What? He said if I warned my team or told anyone, he'd kill them. Why didn't he kill you? And more to the point, why didn't you kill him? He's not working alone. Then he's just playing with you. No, no, he's a parasitic psychopath. He doesn't play games. He's meticulous. He plans everything down to the last detail. Yeah, that last detail being you. Maybe you should tell your team. No, no way. This isn't their fight. And I won't take that risk. We stay together, we can get him. We already tried. Look how that ended up. Sia ultimately says, if we stay together, we can get him, which is a nice sentiment. And Prentice gives Sia a look and goes, look how that turned out. And I'm like, Prentice, are you referring to the fact that Sia's fiance was just murked by Doyle? Like that happened two days ago. And you're just like, you dumb idiot, Sia. Sticking together is what got your dumb marathon running husband killed in the first place. <laughs> I'm like, own cold bitch. <laughs> And then Prentice tells Clyde and Sia that Doyle is not working alone and declares, DC is in his comfort zone. It's mine. This ends here. And then she just kind of like storms off the train. We get one last shot of the masked intruders leaving uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Fine crime scene wearing their little white masks. And just as they pull away from the house, the house explodes behind them. Just boom. Boom, boom, boom. We cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Garcia tells the team about their latest case. Two DC homes within a few miles of one another had strange incidents the previous night. So we learned that the Italian job victims were Ron and Lauren Costenza and their teenage son, who we don't learn his name until later, but it, it does hit you like a ton of bricks when you learn what this kid's name is. So they were shot in the forehead execution style with a gun that actually belonged to Ron, who was the husband in this case, and their bodies were found in the master bedroom. 
So Metro PD think that this was a murder-suicide perpetrated by Mr. Casenza, who then set fire to the house shortly before killing himself to kind of like cover his tracks. And then a few miles away, we have Carrie and Frank Fagan, a.k.a. Mr. and Mrs. Fine. Their house straight up exploded. Suspected gas leak, but they were also found in the master bedroom of their house. The Metro PD thinks this is was a freak accident. But the BAU is like, this is so suspicious and also more suspicious. And Garcia kind of like zooms in on this detail is the fact that like news of both of these pretty horrific things. So we have like a murder suicide fire and then we have a house just straight up blowing up in suburbia. Neither of them have been covered in the news at all. There is zero news coverage about either of them. Any connection between the families? Only one, a continent. Carrie Fagan was born in Germany. Ron Casenza is from Italy. So two of the five victims are from Europe. How does that help? It doesn't. I'm just stating the facts and the facts happen to be. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm late. Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those weeks, I guess. I'm sorry. What did I miss? Arsonist? Well, one appears to be murder-suicide, the other a freak accident. So why are we looking at it? House fires are rare. Add to that a few miles apart within the same hour. Kind of tips the scales of coincidence. Yeah, if somebody did this, they're highly motivated and organized. And if he wants to strike again, he's got 72 hours before the storm shuts the city down. Hey. Hey. What's his name? I'm sorry? Oh, answering a question with a question. That's interesting. Stop it. Stop what? Probing? Seriously. I'm going to make it my life's work to find out who this boy is. Stop. Just stop. We have enough to worry about already, don't we? The team is about to head off, and Garcia stops Prentice just as she's about to leave and says, what's his name? And Prentice is like, huh? And Garcia goes, oh, answering a question with a question. That's interesting. And Prentice is like, stop. Listen, I thought it was funny and cute, but now that I'm thinking about it, does she really think Prentice is unprofessional enough to miss work because of a guy? Mm, clearly she does. I feel like Prentice has never given the impression that she would let like a like new hot date make her late for work. Yeah, very true. But she has been like late for work a couple times now, canonically. Oh yeah, no, her she's been acting up. Like she's not been normal. So we cut to Rossi and Prentice in the Casenza's home. I hope I'm saying it right. I know it wasn't like Costenza. I believe it's Consenza. I just keep thinking Constanza, like from Seinfeld. Rossi and Prentice are in their home, specifically the burned out shell of this couple's bedroom. And Prentice instantly clocks that this family had increased security. Like they had a heavy duty deadbolt in their bedroom. We find out later that the windows are like armored. So if someone's firing weapons at them, it's not going to break through. And they're like, what did this guy do for a living? And they learned that Ron was in network security, which like, is an important job and all, but it's not like necessarily a job where you're going to like arm your house in that way, where you're going to like extra protect yourself. And then Rossi's like, it's weird that he worked in network security because there's not really like anything high tech in this home. There are not like security cameras or like they they did have an alarm on their door, but it was like really basic. So he's like, it's weird that this is like an armored house, but like the security angle is like not quite fitting with this guy. And this is not clarified, but to me, it seems like they're pointing that this guy's like, that is not what he really did for a living. We cut back to BAU headquarters. Garcia is wearing purple arm warmers. Garcia's outfit was on a whole other level in this episode. I she always wears something very flamboyant, but this one was like, yeah. Garcia has left her lair apparently because the heat is out. So she's actually in the round table conference room with everyone else. And Seaver and Reed are in there. And they're trying to like connect some motives between the deaths of the two families. And Reed goes, quote, 
Considering the time these fires occurred, the habitual patterns of both families were in direct conflict with where the bodies were found. Hmm. What is it? You know, considering the time these fires occurred, the habitual patterns of both families were in direct conflict with where the bodies were found. The master bedroom. Yeah, normally Lauren Casenza would be downstairs helping her son with his homework, and Ron wouldn't be home from work yet. What about the Fagans? Their routines were less established. They traveled a lot, but they were expected at a dinner party last night. If someone did this, what are the chances these victims are random? So we cut to a morgue, and Hotch and Morgan meet with the medical examiner. Morgan is like, Mr. Medical Examiner, bring me an explanation. I was trying to make a Mr. Sandman joke, but it didn't work. Uh, Medical Examiner. (laughs) Bring me an explanation. It doesn't really fit. (laughs) Anyways, uh, the Medical Examiner says, two families, same night, mysterious deaths, doesn't happen every day. The Emmy then drops some knowledge and he's like, okay, the Casenza family didn't die from smoke inhalation. They died before there was any smoke in their lungs, so they died and then the fire was set. Rossi and Prentice go back to BAU headquarters. They leave the Casenza house. Prentice goes to her desk, which is right next to Reed's desk, and she puts down her purse kind of forcibly and Reed jumps. You could take a shot every time someone asks someone else in this episode if they're okay, and you would be really drunk. Yeah, nobody's okay. Like, nobody's okay. Reed comes clean to Prentice and tells her, like, what we've already known, that he's been, like, dealing with these headaches. And we thought he was getting help, and we thought he was feeling better after that episode where that really sexy guy, like, uh, gave him that bracelet to protect him from the bad spirits in his head felt like such a long time ago that was an entire season 16 ago for us he still hasn't gotten help well he's gotten help but they can't really figure out what's wrong with him and prentice is like well does the rest of the team know does anyone know you i won't tell anyone I know. They just worry. You know, not, not that you're not going to worry, but they'll just make me feel like a baby, you know? I do. How about you? I'm good. You've uh, been picking your fingernails again. Yeah. You only do that when you're stressed. It's just a bad habit. He's noticed that she's been picking her fingernails again. Her fingernails look god-awful. They look jacked up. No, they are so pad. Like that's something that Emily inherited from Paget. Like that's a really, like that's a habit that Paget had that they like gave to Emily. So I kind of like that they associate her mood with her fingernails. Apparently, what Reed has been doing at his desk, he's been looking over the phone records for the two families that died. And he finally finds something and he's like, oh, are you going to come with? We'll go tell the rest of the team. And she's like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. So she takes a moment, opens her desk. I don't know what she sees in there or what, like, I missed this, but I did the contents of the drawer that we can see. She's got white out. She's got a green pottery mug. It looks like a shot glass, actually. She's got Tums. And she's got some sort of black pouch that says now. And then she closes the drawer. So I don't I don't really know what the purpose of that scene was. I don't get it. Hmm. I do not remember that. Yeah. I mean, later she leaves her phone and her gun in the desk in like the next episode. But I don't really... You know, also, like, if that was really her desk, it would look fucked up. Like, you open one of the drawers in my desk at work, and it's, like, you know, a million Q-tips. So we cut to the conference room. We've got Seaver, Garcia, Hotch, and Morgan inside. Garcia tells Hotch that so far there has still been no media coverage of either of these deaths. One journalist did write an article, but his article was pulled. And Garcia is like, this is really sus. I want to track this guy down and find out what he knows. And the journalist's name is Jeff Hastings. And Hotch is like, sure. So they keep being like, this is the only connection. And then they're like, actually, here's another one. 
actually, here's another one. So the first connection was, okay, they're both, both of these households have someone from Europe in them. And then they're like, okay, so both Carrie and Ron were soccer coaches. You know how those Europeans really love their soccer. Then Reed shows up and here's like, oh, but wait, there's more. Here's another connection. Both of these numbers were called by a different number, even though Ron and Carrie didn't call each other. So the number is 703-555-0118. And this number belongs to someone named Byron Delaney. And he is also from Europe. He is British. We cut to the home of Byron Delaney and he's hurrying out the door with his little suitcase and like four masked intruders with their small little white masks burst in and attack him. Meanwhile, Prentice and Morgan head off to Byron's home and Prentice tells Morgan that she feels like these attacks are like targeting people with the BAU in mind. And Morgan is like, why would you say that? So what's your take on these guys? They're contradicting themselves, exposing bodies, but they're going through all of this to hide it. Do you think they wanted us on the case? Us, the BAU, why would they? Ego, control, some kind of agenda. I don't think we're even on their radar, premise, do you? You're right. Why would we be? And then we cut back to Byron, and he's knocked unconscious, and the intruders inject something in his foot that, like, kills him instantly. And then we hear one of them with an Irish accent say, put the shoe back on. And it's Ian Doyle. Ian Doyle sees Morgan Apprentice pull up outside. He and his men start shooting up the car. And Prentice and Morgan have to like shelter behind their SUV or Suburban or whatever it is to avoid being hit. The issue is that the unsubs have automatic weapons and Morgan and Prentice just have like the standard issue FBI guns. Scary. And Prentice manages to shoot one of the unsubs in the leg and the other three like take off. But as soon as they do, they execute the one that was left behind who was still alive. Like he was going to bleed out, but he was still alive. And they shoot him and then they shoot his arm like right below his wrist where we can see there is an Irish tattoo just like the one Ian Doyle had. But they shoot it so that like when the FBI find the body, Prentice is not going to immediately know who it is. We cut to a little while later and the rest of the BAU and Metro PD have arrived at the crime scene. Morgan and Prentice try to figure out why the unsub who was shot by the others, like why he was shot in the wrist, because they don't know what we know. And Morgan immediately is like, oh, yeah, it's got to be a tattoo. Like there's something there. Prentice is like, "Okay, so they're confident that we can't ID him by his face or his fingerprints, but that tattoo has some significance. And she's not immediately like, oh, God, it's Doyle. She's like, huh, that's that's interesting. It's like, girl, bestie, best friend, it's Doyle. Like, come on, the tattoo, you know he's back, he's killing people. Come come on. Anyways. Inside Byron Delaney's house, Rossi and Hotch are looking for the cause of death. Hotch notices that Byron's shoes, one of them was untied, and they do find the injection site. Rossi also notices that Byron has those armored tech windows and a serious security system. Um, and they find a suitcase with $20,000 in cash and his actual passport. So they're like, okay, uh, he was on a kill list. Someone warned him, but they warned him too late. Outside of his house, Prentice, Rossi, and Morgan regroup. Three out of the six victims were European. Prentice points out that the unsubs are clearly ex-military based off of the automatic weapons in the organization level. And Morgan calls them a European hit squad. And we're not talking about like ABBA or something. Anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> you are the shooting queen. <laughs> the next day, Garcia goes into a coffee shop and we're like, oh God, is this going to be another... Colby Jack cheddar cheese moment. Um, but it's not. 
she is stalking Jeff the Giorno, as she later calls him. So Jeff Hastings, the journalist whose piece was pulled by, we don't know who yet. But she keeps calling him the journo. And I'm like, okay, I guess I guess that's the slang, much like how hobos are called bows. So anyways, she sees him reading a book called The Hellman's Wife. I didn't actually check if this is a real book or not. Can someone check that real quick? Nope. It's not a real book. We're going to get like a message being like, no, it's actually a real book. I'm just going to trust you and hope this is not a Canada debacle. When I search that, what comes up is just a lot of mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, and then I got like a defamation trial. So we don't think it's a real book. And Garcia ruins the ending for Jeff the Journo. Then she demands to know like why the story was pulled. Like, turn up in a coffee shop. This like random stranger walks up to you, ruins the ending of the book you just began, and is like, now tell me, what about that story that was pulled? She's also like especially eccentric with how she's dressed in this in this episode it's it's the it's the lipstick the helmsman's wife i just finished it it's so sad i just started it oh sorry it's a great read to that bit the end the sad bit with the wife super tragic you know i do now you're jeff right you are penelope garcia nice to see you i'm sorry i don't think we've met Oh, we haven't. I'm with the FBI. Good for you. Why did you pull that story? You should know. The FBI didn't tell you to pull it, did they? No, 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 no. I'm not saying jack to you. You already ruined one ending for me. I'm not going to say jack to you. You already ruined one ending for me. But she begs him to explain and she like compares it to like Watergate and she's like, this could be a big undercover thing and you could get famous, Jeff. It could be, you could be the new famous journo. So then he tells her to follow the money. We come back to FBI headquarters and Reed is working on reconstructing the tattoo. Garcia then shows up with information from Jeff the journo. The journal that he works for, the Gazette, is owned by a multinational conglomerate, which employs the services of a company called CWS. And Hotch identifies that as uh, Clearwater Securities, which is a private counterintelligence group working out of Geneva. Apparently, Carrie, Ron, and Byron all worked for CWS seven years ago. Then at the same time we're learning all of this, Reed has finished his tattoo reconstruction. It's a four-leaf Irish clover. So Prentice immediately sees that and is like, fuck me, it's Doyle. Like, this is Doyle. And she kind of, like, hurries off. But the only one who really clocks that, like, something is up with Prentice is Garcia. Prentice goes into the bathroom to call Sia but Garcia follows her in there, so Sia picks up when Prentice calls, and Prentice has to hang up on her and doesn't actually, like, say anything. And Garcia goes, you know, I'm not a profiler. And then Prentice cuts her off and goes, don't start. But then she's, like, so rude that she sees that Garcia is, like, genuinely hurt by the situation, and then she has to, like, backpedal and apologize. And Garcia is like, I'm really worried about you. I know the flu is going around. Are you pregs? And Prentice is like, no, (laughs) I'm not pregnant. Don't even talk to me about children. And she gives this whole monologue about how she's having this nightmare. And she goes through the nightmare. There's a hill and there's a little girl on top of the hill. She's like six years old, dark hair. She's just dancing in the sun. But somehow I know that she's waiting for me. So I start to walk up the hill. But the hill gets steeper and steeper. And by the time I climb to the top, the little girl's gone. And I look everywhere for her. And when I can't find her, I start to panic. And I panic because I know what's waiting out there for her. I know what the world 
can do to a girl who only sees beauty in it. Like you. Somehow you, you always make me smile. And I don't think I've ever thanked you for that. Seaver ruins this nice moment and tells Prentice that Hotch needs to see her. We cut to sensitive compartmented information facility. This was wild. <laughs> AKA SCIF. Uh, anyway, it's a division of the FBI where I guess super secret information is kept. So, like, the long and short of it is that Jeff the Journo was right. The FBI did pull the story, but, like, it's a different unit. Got all the major players. Morgan, Rossi, Hotch, Prentice. I don't know where Seaver is, but, you know, she, she's doing something else. She's probably with Reed working on the tattoo angle. And they're questioning the head of this unit. We learned that the SCIF uh, pulled the story. The SCIF head guy plays like hardball. That's a weird sentence, but he's giving them a hard time. He says that the SCIF employs 40,000 people and trying to investigate who in particular is like targeting his employees would take months. And Rossi goes, oh, so you've already started investigating. That's why you pulled the story. And the SCIF guy is like, it's a multinational situation. I can't divulge anything. And Hodge says, in this room, everything is off the record. But the second we go outside, SCIF and CWS can be held accountable. And the head CIF guy goes, Ugh, fine. So the team gives him a profile. We are looking for a... European team with considerable training, and for one of them, it's personal. The BAU thinks this because the team, they would have spared the concerns of child. Then we learn that the child's name was Samuel. Read it as written, Jen. Read it as written. We then learned that the child's name was Samuel. You know when you name your son Samuel? One of the attackers shot last night had the remains of a tattoo on his wrist. On the surface, the tattoo may look like a simple four-leaf clover, but the stem has a V at the end. The BAU believes that this is associated with the hidden sect of fallen warriors. It's also the name of the ship famous for its journey from Dublin to America, the Valhalla, the SCIF guy then explains that CWS ran an operation to capture the leader of a breakaway IRA faction years ago. This leader assumed Valhalla as his moniker, and SCIF tells the BAU that Valhalla's real name is Ian Doyle. Back in the conference room, Garcia tells the BAU that Ian Doyle is officially on everybody's list. And Seaver says, it's not that I'm not happy that we have his name, but how are we supposed to know, like, who's on his list specifically? Who is he targeting? And Morgan says that, that the BAU should study Doyle's life and everyone that he specifically came into contact with. Prentice says, quote, Doyle's been away for seven years. He still managed to figure out who the players were. Maybe we should start with how he got out of prison. Doyle's been away for seven years, but he still managed to figure out who the players were. Maybe we should start with how he got out of prison. Well, where was he locked up? Russia, I think. Actually, there are no extradition papers on him. Was Doyle on your radar when you were at Interpol? Uh, sure, I had heard of him, but direct contact? I'd, I'd have to ask around. Do. Good guys and bad keep files close to them. What are in these files? It's intel, insurance, protection for times like this. Maybe I should go to Byron Delaney's house and see what I can find. Take Prentice with you. She might have some insight. And then we cut to the car ride over. Prentice tells Morgan that no one from Interpol has gotten back to her yet, but she's sure they will. Prentice then criticizes Morgan's driving because my girl is stressed. Uh, she tells him to, quote, get creative with his driving. I would have kicked her out of the car. 
Yeah, she is really rude to everyone in this episode, especially Morgan, and he just kind of like plays it off like, oh, Prentice, you silly, silly girl. Just then, Sia and Clyde call Prentice, and Prentice pretends that they haven't like been meeting on trains and having secret coffee dates by the water fountain. And she's like, oh, thanks so much for getting back to me. I need some intel on Ian Doyle. And Sia, like, picks up instantly on the fact that, like, you know, that BAU has been alerted and that Prentice has been specifically asked to get this information. So she kind of, like, plays along and she goes, oh, are you alone? Prentice says, not at all. Anything you can spare. And Clyde says, is your team in danger? Except he's British, so he goes, is your team in danger? Are you alone? Not at all. Anything you can spare. Are your team in danger? Absolutely. You should start with our victims, Ron, Casenza, Carrie, Fagan, Byron, Delaney. See if they connect to Doyle in any way. I'll send you a document. I'll be waiting for it, thanks. I got something? I don't know, we'll see. You know, Emily, you really need to trust people. I trust people. No, you don't. You don't because you can't. And I get it. Every time you try to count on someone, they let you down, so you go it alone. You'll never admit that because you're just too damn stubborn. All right, it doesn't really matter. But I'll tell you what does matter. That you can trust me, Emily, with anything. I'm serious. No matter how awful you think it is, I promise you, you are not alone. Morgan then says, you know, Emily, you really need to trust people. And Prentice gets so pissed and she goes, I trust people. And Morgan is like, no, you don't. You don't because you can't. But he actually like ends up giving her this great little pep talk about like how they're a team and like she can trust him and you know he he's okay. Like he he realizes that it will take her time to open up and trust the rest of the team. Back at Quantico, Rossi is concerned that the BAU section chief Aaron Strauss is going to get involved soon. We know how Rossi famously hates Aaron Strauss. And Hotch is like, oh, don't worry. She's, she knows. She's just on vacation. And Rossi's like, oh, great. Now she's never going to take another vacation. And we're back at the Byron Delaney crime scene. And Prentice and Morgan are looking for classified information. There's a safe in his bedroom behind the big painting that they can't get access to. But Prentice is like, no, it's probably not in there. She thinks that Byron would have kept it somewhere where he could get quick access to it. So she like somehow figures out which arm. It's very Sherlock-esque, may I just say. It's a Sherlock scene. Yeah. She's like, okay, this chair is clearly Byron's favorite chair. And then she's like, okay, so it's got to be near the chair. And she just finds this like hidden wall panel and an entire manila envelope with pictures and other like Doyle related goodies. And Morgan just watches this Sherlock Holmes style detective work and just goes, get out of here. How does she do it? (laughs) Get out of here. They immediately find this picture where we see Carrie, Ron, They named someone else. I don't know who that is that they name. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, But there there are other people in the photo, and apparently they know one of them. But, like, I I don't understand who that person was, so I'm going to move past it. It's not really, like, relevant to the plot. The big takeaway is Byron Delaney was not in that photo. So they're like, okay, maybe he was the handler of this CWS team. We have a quick cut to the round table room. Garcia has blown up the images that Prentice and Morgan recovered from the house. There are names of villages on a road sign near this picture of a vehicle where we see um, Carrie and Ron. Prentice is like, okay, these are villages in North Korea. And she says that one of these villages has a political prison in it called Camp 22. She says that North Korea denies that this political prison exists. So now the BAU thinks that Doyle was held in Camp 22. 
They believe that Ron, Carey, Byron were involved in the CWS team that was responsible for transporting Doyle to Camp 22 to be held in captivity for the seven years that he was away. Seaver points out that they're still having trouble, like, narrowing down who actually knew Doyle and who, who else he might be targeting. Quote, All we know is that he was never married, had multiple residences, and was arrested at his Tuscan villa. Seaver thinks that there might actually be arrest photos of him being arrested at the Tuscan villa in Italy, or possibly at least a list of people who were there at the time. And Prentice is like, gulp. Because remember, Bestie, she was at that Tuscan villa. We kept seeing those flashbacks. Also, we at Unsubs incorrectly identified it as a French villa because she was speaking French. Undercover identity that Prentice assumed when targeting Doyle was Belgium. So we heard the French and we're like, oh, it's a French villa. It's, it's a Tuscan villa in Italy. Hotch encourages Prentice to pester her associates at Interpol for more information about Doyle. So she's like, okay, and she excuses herself when she calls Sia and Clyde at her desk. Doyle was in Quan Lee So? Ah, well, that was on a need to know. You didn't think I needed to know that? Are you kidding me? And what good would that do? You don't get to decide what's good for me anymore. What else aren't you telling me? That's it. You said he was in Russia. No, actually, Sean McAllister told you that. Sia? Yeah. Get him off the phone. What are you going to do, Em? Huh? What are you going to do? You're going to run away? Yeah, you're good at that. See ya. Bloody hell. Okay. You cannot trust him. You have got to get out of there right now. See ya. Get Clyde off the phone. I don't trust him. And the, this, like, royally pisses Clyde off. But See ya takes the phone off speaker. And Prentice is like, Sia, you can't trust Clyde. He's not, he's withholding information. You need to get out of there and take care of yourself. So she's like, go to this contact person. Remember how the door works. Go there, get that stuff. You'll be safe. And Clyde just kind of sulks on the couches like, whatever, Sia, I don't care what you're doing. Also, I guess Sia sent Prentice the document that she said she would send because we see Prentice with it in the next scene. Prentice then brings the document that Sia and Clyde sent her to Hotch, Seaver, Rossi, Morgan. It is a list of bank accounts that the victims used. They're thinking potentially they can like find some connected bank accounts that would show other members of the CWS team so that they can alert people, let them know that they're going to be like murked by Doyle. Meanwhile, Sia actually takes Prentice's advice. She goes to the contact Prentice told her to go to, which we later learn is like a black market, like a forger for like fake passports and stuff. Apparently, there is a very specific procedure when you're going to see this person because it is an illegal black market. So she has to knock on the door and then look in the peephole. So she does that. She knocks on the door three times and then she looks in the peephole. But as Sia is looking inside, the person on the other side of the door shoots her and kills her. And as she's dying, she says, my mother made it Christmas. And then she dies. And I'm like, Sia, girl, they did you so dirty like that. Yeah. So the door opens and it was Doyle standing behind the door who killed Sia. And we can see in the background that the black market forger has also been killed. We're back at Quantico and now the BAU has gathered together this huge multi-agency task force. And they're all going to try to capture Doyle working together. The BAU is just waiting for Metro PD to arrive, and we learned that the delay with Metro PD is because there's been a double homicide. Morgan tells everyone the address, and Prentice, her ears perk up, and she immediately recognizes it as the address where she told Sia to go. And Morgan tells Hotch that he wants to investigate because one of the guys murdered looked like a black market forger. 
he's like, there are no more coincidences. This has to be tied to the case. And Prentice is like, okay, I'm going to come with. We cut to this crime scene. Obviously, Prentice is fucked up. Uh, she knew both of these people. She's the one who specifically sent Sia there. She's standing there looking at like this woman who was her friend and her coworker for many, like this woman's dead body who's been like shot in the head. And Morgan's like profiling. He's like, oh, looks like there's blah, 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 blah. And he's like not picking up on the vibes. One straight to the forehead. The holes were made by 45. So she comes to the door and he shoots her. She didn't stand a chance. This has to be the work of our guy. She might be on our list. We should run her prints. I need some air. do pull a whiskey peep uh i don't know what that means but if it involves getting vomit on your boots then yeah i'm guilty you need a soda what can i do <clears throat> i live 10 minutes from here can we just swing by because i think i got it on my pants too hotch wants us to get back i know I'll, I'll be really quick i promise what did you do pull a whiskey peeps and she's like i don't know what that is but i puked on my boot my nice leather boot can you take me back to my apartment really quick? It's on the way. And he's like, okay, but we have to be super quick because Hotch is going to give the profile to the multi-agency task force. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just we'll, we'll be so quick. I'll be in and out. We'll go to my apartment. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. As Morgan and Prentice pull up to the apartment, Ian Doyle and his little like henchmen are watching um, and they, they're like, should we grab her? Should we kill her? No, you know what? Let's just wait. Like, it's no biggie. She'll come looking for us. We'll get her another time. And Prentice goes inside the apartment. She disarms the alarm. She goes to her safe. She pulls off a clotter ring, one of those Irish. I actually am wearing mine right now, even though I'm not Irish. Don't come for me. But one of those rings where it's the two hands holding the heart with the crown, where it one way if you're if you belong to someone, where the where it the other way if you don't. She was actually wearing it on like a necklace around her neck. So she like dramatically rips off the necklace and like throws it in the toilet. And then she flushes it. And then she walks out of the bedroom, leaving the safe open. And then she and Morgan go back to headquarters. And I just, I, I think this episode is pretty well written. But I'm going to say, if you have a cat or a pet of any kind, and you come home unexpectedly, you're going to say, hey, Sergio, where's Sergio? Where's my cat, Sergio? Very true. Very true. And now we are back at BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. The Ian Doyle task force meeting, the first official meeting, and Hotch has everyone together. And we do get a partial profile for Ian Doyle, um, which fades off at the end. He is known to a select few those who know him either work beside him or they're on his kill list. Two or three of his victims worked for CWS and were responsible for his transport to North Korea. There were seven operatives on the mission all, missions altogether, and the remaining five have been warned. All of the federal and international agents responsible for tracking him down are now on his list of targets. The BAU will find Doyle the way they find any other offender, by studying his behavior. The BAU will dissect his every move since he's gained his freedom. He escaped from North Korea, killed a man, and used his vehicle to cross the border into Russia. There is more profile that we don't hear because it slowly starts to fade off. And we're just looking at Prentice's face and she is like a wreck. Morgan looks at her and hits her with another, you good? And she's like, I'm good, but clearly she is unwell. 
and she's looking at her team and she's looking at all of them um, and she's crying a little and she's fearing for their safety and she eventually has to excuse herself from the beating. And it is very traumatic for, for our girl, Prentice, who we, who we do love. And that is the most convoluted, complicated recap I have ever shared. I hope that it makes sense. I have seen this episode and I know this arc, obviously, but not until like really sitting down and writing it did I really kind of piece together the whole situation. Because it is a lot of information to give you at once. Let's just talk about our overall thoughts of the episode. I love it. Like these, this episode and the next are my two favorite episodes of the show, probably. Prentice is obviously my favorite. And I love when, when we get to see our girl in a different light. This is like not important at all. Her fake lashes were so pretty in these two episodes. Like her, the makeup and styling is on point. She also has like a darker look in season six. And I just feel like it, it, it goes with the mood of what's been going on in her life. Yeah. And is, is this a wig? No, that's her hair. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some extensions in her hair, especially for like the flashback scenes that we see. Um, Because her hair looks way more volumized there. Yeah, that might be a wig, um, especially because it's also, like, more brunette. Yeah, either a wig or extensions of sorts. So, obviously, if you didn't know, this was an arc that was introduced into this season because Paget was going to be leaving the show. And, you know, I'm sure that you can go and do your own research about that and we won't really comment as much about that I would say but there's a lot of drama about that um, and obviously we're very happy to have her back when she did come back basically CBS just hates women <laughs> doesn't want to pay them and that's how we got Seaver in like response sort of yeah, but it wasn't like a direct response. Like Seaver was going to come on one way or another and also like, you know, not so much anymore, but there was a lot of animosity at the time cuz we lost JJ earlier this season from the same situation. And Seaver came in and then so there was a lot of thought that like, oh, Seaver came in, which is not true. Seaver was going to be there all along. So that really, you know, sucks for that actress, friend of the podcast, Rachel Nichols. She got a lot of unnecessary hate back in the day because of it. But like, we love you, Rachel Nichols. And like, that is not the case. So everyone, please go love and support friend of the podcast, Rachel Nichols, who we love. But yeah, that's kind of like the the backstory of this. And, you know, into this is a to be continued, by the way, we're going to learn more. Should we should we rate this episode? Oh yeah. What do you guys think about the criminal slash serial killer, which would be Mr. Ian Doyle? Scary shit. The machine guns are horrifying. I mean, I think it's hard to say in a two-parter because you don't get like the motivation until the next episode. Like he's really interesting and and not like likable, but you're intrigued for sure. And if we're talking about this in the context of like not acknowledging really like anything at all in the next episode, and you just had this performance to go by, I think you would still give him a really high score because it is like Jen said, super intriguing. He's scary and creepy and charismatic and charming even without learning anything more, I think it's enough where like he should deserve a really high score. I'd be okay with giving him a 20. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. I mean, I feel like we also have to give 20 for character development because we have so much Prentice stuff going on. And I really love like her interact, like her smaller interactions with Reed and Garcia. 
Yeah, we learn more about Reed's headaches. Yeah, and I I like that he feels comfortable reaching out to her because he's like, she's the only one that doesn't baby him and would like take him seriously as like a person. And, and that's really cool too. And then like when she's going through her dream, like her dream scene in the bathroom with Garcia. And then at the end, she's like, this girl just like reminds me of, of you like in a good way. And I just never, like had you know I've never thanked you for all of this you know like making my life brighter and all of this shit and it's like it's almost like her saying goodbye like realizing that she is going to have to leave the team um but she's coming to terms with that like slowly forensics and context this is maybe the only thing that I would be a little lower on just because it is a little much to follow I know this episode. I've seen this episode tons of times, but like to, to to get all the clarity and all the working pieces. And I hope that like in my recap, I was able to clarify things. And I don't mean to pick on you, Jen, but you were like, oh yeah, he was kept in Russia. Actually, Ian Doyle was in North Korea. Like I didn't even know that either. Like there, you know, you can watch something so many times and enjoy it, but the little nuances of stuff are so fast that it's it's hard um and i don't even think that's an issue with script writing i i literally think the it was sped up too fast i think it needed to be a little slower so i don't really know where to take off points for that other than in forensics and context because they do spell the whole thing out for you and say multiple times this is what happened this is what happened because the sheer speed of it it's like if you just watched it for the first time like you would never would have got like i you know i was sitting there like man this this is a lot of information I don't think they actually speed it up. I think it's just really quick delivery. I mean, maybe. I, I'm not sure. It, but like, there were some lines where Seaver was going, da 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 And I was like, oh my God, like this doesn't feel normal. Because I mean, there are shows like Gilmore Girls and stuff where people just talk really quickly. And I think, I think that's what they're just doing in this. I don't think they actually like in post make it faster. I could be wrong. I just have never heard of that being something done in television. I know that people do that shit with like podcasts all the time. Yeah, I don't know. But I I think the speed was the problem. Yeah, it's just a lot of information that's really, really like tightly condensed. Um, Do we want to give it like a 15? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to give the other two categories 20s. Yeah. Right. I mean, I really like this episode. You definitely need the next episode for it all to come together. Um, So I'm totally fine with that. Like, I agree. Like, we get these little snippets in the episodes leading up to these two. And I think this is probably because they're like, we got to you know Paget's contract is is done like we're we're ending this sort of thing so like that's probably where it becomes rushed right yeah they had a seven episode arc to keep her for and that's what it was right so i think they should have like maybe spread out the information a little bit more it's a good episode still i think that's totally a fair fair statement about the the speed of it all hope you enjoyed our coverage we do have jen again for the next episode where she thankfully did a recap for us which was super nice of her if you like what we do we do have a patreon we have a kofi give us a five-star review please uh follow us everywhere unsubs podcast you can write to us we have links for everything in our show notes could follow me yournewapartment.tumblr.com 
Jen, where can people find you? Oh, I'm still dicking around on Instagram at wheelsup.cm as always. And Abigail, where can people find you? Instagram, little underscore gnome underscore facts. Well, thanks so much for tuning in and we will be back next week with part two. Well, yeah. Woo, woo. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Peace out. Bye.